going on, you guys, and it's been crazy, but God is faithful, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, how faithful he is. So, <clears throat> Randy's not here today. This is just for him. Um, this is my wide world web facts that I have found. <laughs> I don't, well, I have some numbers, but I don't have a number brain. Um, my son and my husband, they can just, numbers just come to me. I'm, okay, five plus five is, well, I'm not that bad, but um, <laughs> it's not as good. So here's my question. Did you know that the Statue of Liberty was designed by a French sculptor? Know that. His name was, I'm gonna, okay, this is my French accent, sorry guys. Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi. And its metal framework was built by Gustave Eiffel. Yes, the guy that made the Eiffel Tower. Amazing, isn't it? That I didn't know. The statue was dedicated on October 28, 1886. A long, long, long time ago. However, the concept for the statue was inspired by a French law professor and a politician. There we go. Here goes my French again. Edouard René de la Boue. <laughs> Should have taken French in high school instead of skipping any of that. Um, who is said to have commented, so this was just a comment in 1865, that any monument raised to the U.S. independence would be properly uh, be a joint project of the French and American peoples. Well, then this thing called the Franco-Prussian War came into play and delayed everything, all right? So nothing got happened with this idea, um, with making until 1875 when, oh, here we go again, when Boublet proposed that the French finance the statute and the United States provide the site and build the pedestal. So, Bartholdi completed the head and the torch. So, you know, the, head, the lady's head and the torch. Okay, so he completed that before the statue was even fully designed. And those pieces were put on exhibit for publicity at international expositions. All right, so that's a lot of stuff going on before we even get the statue, right? Even here to America. So the torch-bearing arm, okay, was displayed at a centennial exposition in Philadelphia in 1876. And then in Madison Square Park from 1876 to 1882, I'm going somewhere with this guy, so just hang on. Um, fundraising, though, can you believe it, was kind of difficult, especially for us Americans, because we hold on tight to our money. I'm just thinking, that's why. But they had problems with that. Um, they finally had enough people to um, contribute, and the statue was built in France first, and then it was shipped here. And it was assembled and completed on a pedestal that is now called Bedwell's Island, 21 years later, finally marked the celebration and dedication of the Statue of Liberty. 21 years it took. Did you know that? We just all think, oh, it came over from France and they, it got put up. No, it's not how that worked. Okay, so one more did you know. 
Did you know that it took 14 years from design to completion? Well, actually, it took longer than that. From design to completion, it took 20 years to build the Golden Gate in San Francisco. 14 years to build it. And at the time when it opened in 1937, and I didn't know this either, it was both the longest and the tallest suspension bridge in the world with a span of 42,000 feet and a total height of 746 feet. It's one of the most internationally recognized symbols of San Francisco and California. But it was initially, initially designed by an engineer, engineer named Joseph Strauss in 1917. Again, who knew? I, you know, bridge, <laughs> built up, we drive over it. There's a lot of stuff put into these things. But we live in a world today where fast food restaurants, drive-throughs that we get impatient in because we're in a drive-through and we don't have our food, the minute we drive up and speak our food order and it's not ready for us when we get to the window, we have induction stoves and ovens, we have all kinds of modes of transportation, we have airplanes, cars, bullet trains, motorcycles, and as the Alabama song goes, I'm in a hurry to get there fast and I don't know why as I rush and rush until life's no fun. That's how we are. How life is sometimes. We don't take the time and we don't always understand why things take so long. And get done. And when you have a bunch of kids with you, and you're through Culver's drive-thru, and they're hungry, and you have to wait for the french fries to get done, we get crabby, we get impatient. But we do that with God, too, you guys. We see things going on, and we're like, God, remember, I prayed about this. I have prayed, I have prayed, I have prayed. And, you know, it's been a week <laughs> nothing's done, right? We get impatient. We're like, God, do you not even listen to me? Do you not even hear me? Do you not know what's going on? Do you know what the torture I'm going through right now? And God just, I have to think that God just kind of goes, you need to read your Bible. So I did, because that's what I was saying to God. <laughs> like, God, come on now. I think we've gone through the motions and done the things long enough, Lord. I need to see some action taking place here. Abraham was 99 years old when God appeared to him in Genesis 17 and made a covenant with Abraham. 99 years old. I, I can't, that's twice my age. Well, not quite twice my age. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <a little> younger. <laughs> Almost twice my age, but not quite. He told Abraham, he says, I will make you fruitful, and that God would make nations of him, and kings will come from you, and the whole land of Canaan would be given as an everlasting possession to Abraham and his descendants after him. Then God proceeded to tell Abraham that Sarah will be blessed, and that she will be the mother of nations. And kings and peoples will come from her. Now, this wasn't the first time that God had told Abraham. He, this, he told, her, told him a couple times. But this time, Abraham thought, <laughs> that's pretty funny, God. So you're telling me, 
at 99 years old. When I'm 100, I'm going to have a baby? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Now, I have a friend of mine who had adopted uh, a baby when they were 50, and I thought that woman was crazy. Why would you adopt a baby when you're 50 years old? <clears throat> but God has plans for us that we don't always understand, and we don't always uh, are patient for him to play it out. So Abraham said to God, he says, only Ishmael, because remember, by this time he'd already had Ishmael. Remember Ishmael, Hagar, it was his Egyptian, his wife's Egyptian maid servant, and he had Ishmael with her. <clears throat> and God said, uh, yeah, but you're not listening, Abraham. How many have done that? And God's kind of like, not listening. It's not what I said. He's going to put your own thoughts in there. My husband accused me of that all the time. <laughs> I'm putting in my own thoughts into what's being said. Jesus said, <clears throat> sorry, God said, Jesus wasn't even born then, Cheryl. <clears throat> God said, yes, but you're not listening, Abraham. Sarah will bear you a son. And any covenant with him, his name is to be Isaac, will be established as everlasting for his descendants after him. And Ishmael would receive a blessing, and God promised him also that he would increase and that he would be the father of 12 rulers. But God's covenant <clears throat> was to be with Isaac. And Sarah, lo and behold, had a baby the following year. So Abraham was 75 when he first made this promise to Abraham. And by the time Isaac was born, 25 years had passed. That's a long time to hold on to a promise. It's a long time to hold on to a promise. We get very discouraged sometimes when God, like I said, doesn't answer us in a week, in a day, in a few months, in a year. Can you imagine Abraham holding on to this promise for 25 years? Job 37.5 says, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. We don't understand all the time how God plays things out. <clears throat> God always goes before us, the Bible tells us. And we see sometimes snippets of this. For example, a month ago, maybe it's been two months, I know time, time just goes so fast in some things and so slow in other instances. But um, we'll say a month ago, um, my parents have caregivers that come every day to the house, right? Most of you, if not all of you, know that. And we have night caregivers that come and stay overnight. And they come around 7 o'clock, sometimes 8, and then they stay until the morning, until the morning caregiver comes. Well, um, one weekend, Saturday or Sunday, I was at my parents' house, and this caregiver shows up at my parents' house, and we started talking. And so now, mind you, all the caregivers have to wear masks, right? So you can't, you can't, it's hard to see masks. And it drives my dad crazy because he's hard of hearing. He can't, he has a hard time understanding them. But so we're talking, and um, I always look at the schedule to see who's coming, and uh, 
I recognized the name, but I thought, well, okay, it's just someone that's been here before, right? And um, she, we're talking, and she goes, I know you. I go, you do? And she, she goes, yeah. She says, you're the redhead that goes to that church that sings and does the stuff in the church and Sunday school and stuff and all that. I go, yeah, straight of grace. She goes, I've been to your church. Uh, before COVID yet. So um, it was just nice because then I think my dad gets impatient. Talk about impatience. My dad, he's a, he will be 83 in December. And, you know, he's going to set his ways, right? Some caregivers, he really, really likes some caregivers. He voices his opinion. And um, not necessarily based on anybody's truth, but his own. So, but. So I was able to go and tell my dad, because we've been having problems with caregivers, right? Not showing up or having trouble feeling. So um, I went to my dad and went, Father, I said, see this lady, Doris? I said, she's been to my church. You need to be nice to her. <laughs> but God goes before us, right? Because God knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And sometimes we think we need it before he's ready to give it to us, right? Because we're not ready to receive it. Abraham was not ready to receive his son Isaac when he was told. So he had to wait that time. And it becomes very hard for us to understand God's ways when we think that we know better. It's like, well, God, you're not here. You're not here with me doing this. And God's like, what is wrong with you? Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, fast forward. So Isaac's mom, Sarah, dies. And um, Isaac has not been married this whole time, right? So Abraham, a light bulb comes on, and he decides, oh, my goodness, I suppose Isaac should get married, otherwise... No kids, right? So, <clears throat> in Genesis 24, Abraham commissions his oldest servant to find a wife for Isaac. But he explicitly tells him, do not, do not give him a foreign wife, right? We need to stay within the promise that we have here, so we need to find someone that is within our, um, our family. So then we will pick up the story, Elena, in Genesis chapter 24. So before I get to that, um, Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. Now to us, that's like, oh man, he's old, right? My son just got married. He's about to be what, Brianna, 35? And we, I don't know. <laughs> Both of my kids are within a year of each other, right? So I think Anthony will be 35 and Brianna will be 34. <laughs> and, you know, I, that's old, right? And to our standards, that's, that's kind of old to get married, right? So your first time. Um, but 40, 40, that was old. And we know that Rebecca was probably considerably, considerably younger than that. Um, but that's a long time for someone who, whose God promised nations and people from, right? And then, you guys, that's just not it. 
He was 60 before Rebecca had a baby. That's another 20 years after he got married. It's a long time to hold on to a promise. So we'll go to um, Genesis chapter 24. Uh, sorry, we're going to go to verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel. Is that what it says? Oops. No. Okay. Uh, we'll go back. I'm so sorry, Elena. My so gosh. <clears throat> That's okay. Um, so let's talk about how he meets. Meets. Um, Rebecca. I'm going to look at my Bible. Ooh, they didn't bring my big word Bible, you guys. I'm getting to be like Randy. Uh, don't you dare buy me a big word Bible, Brianna. Because <laughs> <laughs> she would. She fouled that in her little brain. I'm going to have to get my mom for her birthday. All right. So Abraham was old. This is verse 24. So I'm in 24. And... Isaac, um, Abraham sends his servant and um, tells him, make sure that it is someone for my family. So he goes and, I was going to read what you wrote. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. So he came, so the servant came to this well and he, first of all, he prayed. So you guys, sometimes God, when he sees something, action, he already has that plan, right? And he answers us right away. But not because of who we are, but because who he is, right? So the servant took 10 of his master's camels, and I'm, I'm in 10 now, 2710. For all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahar. And I'm reading from the New King James, I believe, is what my Bible is, maybe. Um, and he made his camels kneel down outside a city by a well of water at evening time. And when the time when women go out to draw water, and he said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. So notice, he said this day. I want success this day. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of man of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let us let now let it be that the young woman whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one. Now that's super, super specific, right? Super specific. And in verse 15, it says, and it happened. So God does hear us, and when his plan goes before us, and he sees the plan before us, God had this plan way before his servant even got there, right? So when he prayed this prayer, God was like, oh, yeah, I can do that right now. And it happened before he finished speaking. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Melchah, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulders. And it says, goes on to say that she was very beautiful. All right, then I'm going to skip up to... I don't know where I'm going. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. You're fine. Oh, okay, so verse, um, chapter 25, verse 19. 
And this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. So this is a great genealogy, right, for Abraham. Isaac, Abraham begot Isaac. That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. If you go to the New Testament, it goes blah, 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 begot, 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 begot. This was super easy. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife. And it goes on to say the daughter of blah, blah, blah. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. <clears throat> so that kind of pauses and kind of does a backtrack. It says, but the children struggled together with her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she's pregnant, and these babies are already fighting, right, inside her. Can you imagine? No, I can't even imagine. It was hard enough with one at a time. And now the movements they do. So they have twins who are already fighting. Before they're not even born, they're already fighting inside. Poor Rebecca. She's like, Lord, come on. <clears throat> And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So now she has this promise, right, from God. Directly from God. Okay, I'm going to change things up a little bit, Rebecca. Okay, it's not going to be your normal birth order here. Even though the older one, the one that's going to be born first, he's not going to, he's, he's going to be second. Right? So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came up, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old, like I said. 60. Can't imagine having twins at 60 either. <laughs> My kids were very close in age, like as you said. They're a little over a year apart. That was crazy enough. Until they got older, then it was it was fine. But can't even imagine. So let's backtrack a little bit. Abraham. So if you know the story behind what I said before, um, Abraham um, had a child with Sarah's um, Egyptian maidservant Hagar which had, so was Ishmael. And God kept his promise with Abraham, because remember, um, if you read the story through Genesis, um, once Isaac was born, Sarah got a little jealous of Ishmael and said, you need to get rid of this kid. I don't want him in my sight. I don't want him around Isaac. You need to get rid of him. So God made a promise both to Hagar and to Abraham that he, he's going to be fine. He's going to be taken care of. So then... <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 25, after Sarah died, Abraham got married again. And this, um, and I can't remember her name, but she had six boys. All right? So we have Ishmael, right? We've got Isaac. And now Isaac has more half-brothers, six more. And I'm sure Abraham, or Isaac, is probably like, Okay, so what's going on here, Lord? You've got a lot of pieces moving around here. When you tell me that I am going to 
wanting to be, you know, who you want me to be. And now I've got this further that I have to contend with, which eventually um, Israel, okay, which would be Jacob, would they would have to contend with them for a long, long time, his brothers and their descendants. And his other brothers now and descendants. It's like, God, what's going on here? But God has all things planned, even when we don't understand yeah. what in the world is going on. All right. Um, the boys grew up, verse 27. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. So now we've got favoritism here going on a little bit. Um, Isaac loved Esau because he brought him good foods, and Rebekah loved Jacob. So, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, and he was hungry. You're good. For those of you, Paul, you go out hunting all day, you probably don't eat a whole lot while you're hunting, right? So, because you're too busy stalking or waiting patiently for deer, ducks, pheasants, whatever comes along. Um, that's all I know about hunting. I don't do hunting. <laughs> or fishing. Same with fishing. Okay, personally, I do not like fishing at all because it's too boring because you sit there and cast, nothing cast, nothing cast, nothing cast, nothing cast, nothing. Oh, hey, I got something. Oh, it's too small. Get your back. <clears throat> not a fan of fishing. Um, so when he came back, you know, he'd been hunting all day, stalking his deer, pheasants, whatever it was he like to hunt out there at that time, um, hungry. And Esau was uh, the man of the moment, right? He was instant gratification, was his thing, this is what I want. And he saw Jacob cooking, and so he went to um, Esau, and he goes, oh, have your kids done this? I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. I can just imagine Esau, you know, big dramatics, going, I'm so hungry, Jacob. You don't understand, I've been hunting all day. He must not have caught anything, right? Because <laughs> he didn't bring Jacob anything to cook. He just went straight to Jacob and went, oh, good, you're cooking, yay. Give me some food. He says, quick. So he's not even patient, you guys. He says, quick. Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. Quick, quick, quick. This is where things get a little ugly after this point with Jacob and Esau. Okay? But God, God already knew this, right? What was his promise to Rebecca? You're going to have problems with these boys. They fight. Your younger is going to serve the older. So God already had this all planned. But we never seem to look at what God has already in store for us. We always like are like Esau. Well, the New Testament talks about Esau too a little bit. I'll wrap it up with that. So I can see what time it is. Oh, no, you're Thank good. You. <clears throat> Not that Ted's head's in the way at all, but there's a nice glare on the clock. <laughs> all right, so things got really ugly after this point between um, Rebecca, her husband, 
their children. God all ugly, you guys. But God knows. Even in the ugliness, God knows. Even in the ugliness, you guys. I'm going to say that one more time. Even in the ugliness, when we don't understand, we don't think that God's even working. But God has a step-by-step plan. We have to trust him. And it's hard. It's very hard. So Jacob, in verse 31, he says, Jacob, you know, he's, he's a smart kid, this Jacob. This younger brother's no dummy at all. <clears throat> so he's like, and okay, so if you guys have more than one child, you know how sometimes your kids can be a little skewy, right? Um, either between each other or with you. <laughs> they can be a little skewy. So here, I can just imagine Jacob going, now's my chance. I got you, bro. He says, um, <clears throat> so Esau, uh, how about you sell me your birthright? And he says, like, 32. This is how Esau answers him. He is so not in tune with God. He is so not in tune with, because you know that Rebecca and Isaac did not keep from them what God's plan was for them, right? You know that he told them, Isaac told his boys about Abraham, their grandfather. You know he, they told him about the promises that were going forth. Esau did not give a rip. Right? Remember, man of the hour, man of the moment. He tells Jacob, look, it's a dramatic. So we know that he was also the dramatic. I am going to die. What good is this birthright for me when I'm going to die hunger? What is that? You have it up there? Yes. Look, I'm about to die. What good is it going to do me, this birthright, if I'm going to die right here now because of damage? The man's 40 years old, you guys, when they're having this conversation. He's not a little toddler. That comes up to you when your your kid comes up. Your mom is gonna die. You just ate an hour ago. I'm gonna die. <laughs> he's forty, but he's acting like he's a child. So Jacob takes advantage of this, and he says, "Swear to me first. So he swore it all to him, and selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob went, okay, here's your food. Have some stew. And he ate and drank and got up and left. Didn't think about it. Didn't even understand the repercussions of what he just did. Esau did not. Esau despised his birthright. He didn't want to have nothing to do with it. He did not care what it meant to have that. So like I said, Hebrews chapter 12 says this about Esau. He says, um, this is John. We think John wrote Hebrews. So, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. And pastors explain that that's not holiness. Like, woo Okay. Gotta have God, right? Okay. <clears throat> if you've missed that lesson, it's somewhere, I'm sure, in Spirit of Grace uh, Facebook thing. All right, 
God, okay, see that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Esau did not realize what he was doing. God knew, right? God knew he had this plan. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Esau had come to a point in his life that he did not care. He didn't care about nobody but himself. For a single meal sold his inheritance, writes as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done, what he had done. Esau was only concerned about the material things, the me now, getting through that fast food line, getting my food, doing about my business. He held contempt for his spiritual blessings and for his loss, didn't have much regret until he realized, oh, that's what I did. Now that's a problem. He devalued his blessing when it came time to receive his blessings. And he lost out. <clears throat> was Isaac was old and his eyes were weak. We're in Genesis 27 now. And he could no longer see he called for Esau, his oldest son, and said, My son! And Esau answered him. He says, I am an old man, and I don't know the day of my death, but now I want you now get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare for me a kind of tasty food I like. Bring it to me so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So at this point, Esau was like, Dad does not know what I did. Woohoo! Sure, Dad. I'll go right, get right on there, right now. So Esau trots out, go does his little hunting thing. Now Rebecca was listening in verse five as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left to the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, she says, "Look, hey, now I overheard your father say to your brother." Bring me some game, prepare it, and I'm going to give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So listen to me, son. Listen carefully and do what I tell you. I want you to go out in the flock, bring me two choice young goats, and I will make some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. And then take it to your father to eat that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Now we hear the scripture, and the first thing we went, well, ooh, Rebecca, you are a bad, bad lady. <laughs> but we need to put ourselves, because we know how we think, right? Especially as Americans, we know how we think, right? So that's why we need to take the time when we read God's word is to put ourselves back in that time, in that culture, right? And then we also need to remember here, what was God's plan from the very beginning? What did he promise her? So some say, well, she kind of meddled and did God's work for him. Did he? I don't know. He chose Rebecca, right? He chose her to be Isaac's wife, 
he chose her, right, to have these twins. So maybe she did battle. I don't know. But I think that God did use the situation for what it was. Um, maybe some of the consequences were not what she probably thought about, because we never think about the consequences, do we? Well, I should say never. We sometimes think about the consequences, right? But a lot of times we don't think about the after effects of things that we do or say in our lives. And so we have to face those consequences. I used to tell my kids that we always have consequences. There are good consequences and then there's bad consequences. Um, this probably wasn't maybe exactly the way God thought it out, but um, I do think he used the situation to let his purpose be done. So Jacob said to Rebecca and his mother, but, uh, hello, Mom, eh, I do not look anything like Esau, right? Esau is all hairy, hairy dude. I mean, all over hairy, Mom, you know this. <clears throat> he goes, what if my father, like, just touches me? He's going to know. So he says, I would appear to be tricking him. So I find this a little humorous. He says, I would appear to be tricking him. You're going to trick him anyhow. So yes. And his mother said, my son, let that curse fall on me, which it does, right? She doesn't get to see her sons. Once all this, once this takes place and falls down, she doesn't get to see her sons. <laughs> took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had had in the house, put them on the younger Jacob, and she covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. And he handed to her and Jacob the tasty food and bread that she made. And he went to his father, and his father said, Yes, my son, who is it? Which also, this is why you guys have to take the time to read God's word, right? So, he went to his father and said, my father, and he recognized right away, he said, yes, my son. So he knew it was one of the boys, right? He just wasn't sure which one it was. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, or I am Esau. I have done as you told me, please sit up and eat some of my game. So, um, Jacob was kind of like, hmm, you got here awfully fast, dear Esau. God must have really been with you when you found that deer, pheasant, whatever. I almost said goat. I don't think you go hunting for goat. <laughs> <laughs> and Jacob, or, um, Jacob said to him, he says, well, the Lord, the Lord, your God. Right? Okay, so again, catch that little phrase. This is the Lord your God. Isaac, or Jacob hadn't quite grasped under the concept that the God was his God too. He referred it to his father's God. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you to know that whether you are my son, he saw not. So Jacob went close to his father. Okay, we're going to go skip down all that. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we're going to skip all that. All right, we're going to go to 29, 30. 
Um, after Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence when his brother Esau came in from hunting. For he too had prepared some tasty food, brought it to his father, and he said, My father, please sit up and eat my game so that you can give me your blessing. And his father says, Oh, who are you? And he says, Well, I'm Esau. Remember? I'm your firstborn. Isaac trembled violently, said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? For I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's word, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry, and he said, Bless me, father. Bless me, too. He had realized what had happened. Time went back in his head and went, oh, And Jacob. Your brother has come and deceitfully took your blessing. Again, so think about it. Backtrack. Esau, you're a hungry man. You're a hungry, hungry man. And the hungry man meal was fit for you. And I made you something. Remember, you sold it to Jacob. Remember, man of the moment. Now you realize, oh my goodness, my actions, my consequences, right? Now. And Isaac answered Esau. He says, I have made him Lord over you. Oh, hmm. Seems like God took your back or something about that. And have made him all, and made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what, Esau, possibly can I give you? Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, something, anything. So he blessed him. He says, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of the heaven above, and you will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from your neck. And Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing. He did not listen. He did not listen from the time he was young till he was old, what God had for him. He was impatient. He was impatient with circumstances. He was impatient with everything. And so he lost everything. If you read further on to Genesis, we find out that Esau and um, Jacob finally reconcile. They come together. Esau forgives him. Um, Sometimes, I do have to say about growing old, sometimes you realize the things that you held on to so tightly when you're younger are much easier to let go when you're older, including grudges and bitterness. God certainly has a part in that in our lives. You don't have to wait until you're old to be able to release those to God. Some people feel, like I said, that Rebecca interfered but I think that God used her situation because he knew who she was. Esau was too attracted to this world and its instant gratification that he always thought. Rebecca saw this as the boys were growing up, I'm sure. You're not blind to your children, right, when you're growing up. You know, you can, you know their personalities, you know their likes, their dislikes as they grow old. So I'm sure Rebecca was not blind to what was going on before her as her boys were growing up. 
Um, Esau had already taken on foreign wives. He held a disdain for his birthright. But Jacob, she saw that he had that spiritual connection and that he would be the covenant keeper like his father and grandfather. Um, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 25, this is in the Amplified Version because I like to look at said it. In the other versions, it's just very flat. But it says, the one who loves his life, and then it has a parenthesis, loses it, in parentheses, through death. But the one who hates his life in this world and is concerned with pleasing God, that's in parentheses, will keep it for life eternal. That's a little harsh, right? But when we place all other things and look for that instant gratification, or sometimes even long-term gratification, whether it's in work or stuff, okay, over the goodness of God and who God is and the realization that he is God over all things. There is no real peace. We have temporary satisfaction, right? <clears throat> okay, so don't tell my husband. <laughs> I like shoes. I like clothes. <laughs> I like jewelry. And it brings a small amount of satisfaction when you get something new, right? I have a new pair of shoes on that just came in the mail on Friday, Saturday. They are killing my feet. Just saying. But they are cute. Hello. But tough things at last, right? You open the box, you look at the shoes, you put the shoes on, you wear the shoes, and you're like, okay, I don't know the ones. <laughs> God holds that satisfaction in our lives and those places that we feel unsatisfied in always. But you have to be able to allow him, right, to do that. When we become self-absorbed or just in our own little world, we don't get that satisfaction. We don't get that peace. We need to turn it over to Jesus. And you'll smile. God's timing is everything. God moves in his time and not our time. That's been a very hard lesson for me to learn this last two years with my parents. And the struggle that we've had taking care of them the way that they wish to be taken care of. And because our society, where we're always moving, we're always looking for that thing, we're always wanting that next thing to be done, it's hard for us as a society to wait patiently and quietly without complaining or wailing. We teach our kids to wait patiently, right? All the time. You just have to be patient. You gotta be patient, little one. But yet ourselves, we hardly can do that ourselves. And God's probably like, be patient, little one. I have this. I'm in control. Trish brought something up in our um, 
after practice. Well, in the mornings, um, we come early and we, the worship team comes and practices. And um, Psalms 24.1, she kind of wrapped up um, my scripture that I have to end this. And it says, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. God has it. But we so quickly forget that. So Trish was talking this morning and <clears throat> as we were getting ready to pray, she says, we need to abide in him for he's in control. I am not in control. Not in control. I am not in control. John 15, 9 says, As the Lord, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide. Abide. We are not in control, but if we abide in his love, we can trust him to have control. But we have to allow him in his timing. And look, folks, it may take longer than instant. It may take longer than a week. It may take longer than two weeks. It may take months. It may take years. But God's still in control. Lean on that hope and promise that God is still in control. We just need to abide in him and understand that he is the one. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to my rants today.